Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Thank you. It's great having your wife introduce. I feel really loud. Am I really loud? No, I'm not. Okay, I'll carry on and they can adjust the sound accordingly. Thank you for that introduction. That was great. Um, Isaiah 60, and while you are turning there, I'd love to give you a little bit of feedback. I spoke a month ago about how amazing the finances have been through October, November, December, and just honoring everyone for their engagements and just financial commitments as a church. Um, And then how disastrous January had been. He had a deficit of 120,000 in January. Um, But I just want to give you this feedback. I don't know quite what the books look like, but all I know is this, that somehow in February we were able to pay everybody on time, which is absolutely amazing. So somehow something has come right in the space of a month through various things coming together. But I really want to honor you and just encourage you to be faithful and hang in there and, and God meets with us and God answers our needs. So that is great to know. Isaiah 60 and verse 1 and 2, Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. I think that is a now word. I think it's a word for us in this season to arise and shine. How's your February going? Do you enjoy a February Sunday? It's invigorating, isn't it? Kind of, who's hot? <laughs> okay, that's good. We will get there. It's going to be. It's going to be good this morning. Arise, shine, for your light has come. God's word to us, I profoundly believe, is arise and shine. The need at this moment is not for further revelation. Why do I say that? Because it says, "Arise, shine, for your light." has come. And, and the pursuit of further revelation is always enticing. You know, we know that, that it is the secret things belong to the Lord, but it's the, the privilege, the honor of kings to seek them out. And, and we, we thirst to know more. We thirst to understand more. Um, we thirst for another prophetic word We maybe need another trip to Connection Center just to get more revelation. And all those things are absolutely good. But arise and shine for your light has come. We need to take a hold of what has been deposited for us and upon us and within us. And we need to use that to be able to shine. It says, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We have a unique role and a unique responsibility as God's people. That's what the doctrine of election is about. God chose Abraham because he wanted to reveal his glory through him. 
And we are, as God's people, those through whom God has chosen to reveal his glory. He loves everyone, but he wants to specifically reveal his glory through us. We walk in his glorious light, and that light shines upon us, and that light shines through us if you have eyes to see it. The, the old masters painted pictures of the saints with a halo around their head. You know, the, you know what it looks like. There's Mary and Joseph and they've got halos glowing, pretty cute little things, you know. And, and we are his saints. And if you have eyes to see, just hear this the right way. There is a halo to see around the person sitting next to you because he has caused his glory to rise upon you. All right, so just polish it for them. Yeah? Just polish the halo. That's it, that's good, yeah. Thank you, Roger. It's cool. His glory has, some of you are looking at me like I'm really weird now. His glory has risen upon us. Then it goes on and it says, darkness shall cover the earth. Darkness shall cover, there's drama here. Darkness shall cover the earth and great darkness, thick darkness, the peoples. We want to position ourselves as a people of hope. Hope is an absolutely precious commodity. Negativity comes cheap. If you are looking to employ someone in your business, would you employ someone who can point out problems or someone who can solve problems? Which, which would you go for? Okay, he who has the most hope has the most influence. And we want to position ourselves as people of hope because the world desperately needs hope. But we are not naive about the state of the world in which we live. We're not naive about the politics of this country. Things are pretty bad. They really are. I read this week that the Zondo Commission, which is looking into state capture, is actually, they have a contract with Bosasa to provide services for them. And they, Basasa, you will have read, are one of the companies that they're now investigating. So you kind of think, is, is there no end to this thing? Is, is there nobody in this country whose finger is not in the pie somewhere? You know, do, does this thing never end? And our hope is not in Cyril. And our hope is not in the DA. And our hope is definitely not in Julius, all right, or any of the other guys lying out there. There is a huge political atmosphere over this nation to shift, and it's not down to one man. I mean, Cyril Ramaphosa is amazing, but he's carrying a political weight and legacy that is really, really hard to bear. And we need to be praying for him, we really do in this season. But our hope is not on him because this is a spiritual battle. 
We wrestle against principalities and powers in heavenly places. What does hope lie in? Hope lies in heaven in politics. So we've done heaven in business. We haven't done it. We've had an event called heaven in business. We had an event called heaven in healthcare. Why not heaven in politics? Politics seriously needs heaven to invade. Politicians need the resources of heaven to enable them to function as godly leaders in this land. And if they don't, it's no wonder that the place is falling apart. What do we... We're praying Thursday night for South Africa and, and I felt God asked me, what do you really want for South Africa? And then before I'd answered, I felt him say, is that all? It's, it's kind of like our, our implied desire is to be a nation like other nations. And we kind of imagine that we are carrying a burden of problems that other nations don't have. The United States is a mess right now. And I know all my brothers over there think Donald Trump is God's answer. Honestly, I'm yet to be persuaded. I really, really am. And, and looking from this far afield, things look really difficult and hostile in the United States. The UK is a total mess. Politics is falling apart at the seams. There are new defections and fractions and factions and all sorts of stuff going down there. The economy is under huge threat. France is another mess. They've got the Gilets Jaunes, these people who is like a grassroots rebellion against the government there. Germany is suffering a very uh, weak government under Angela Merkel at the moment and has a resurgent right wing. Spain is about to fall apart into two different countries. Um, Italy is run by right-wing populist government who is creating havoc there, etc., etc. And what's our desire for South Africa? Is that it? Is that all we want? To join the community of other nations who have problems all of their own. How about becoming a global light for the kingdom? Is that what we want for this nation? How about being a hub of innovation and creativity? How about being the home of justice and freedom? I mean, it, it could be amazing if we want enough for this nation rather than just let's survive, let's get over our problems. So we're not... Naive, although we are a people of incredible hope. We're also a people of honour. And that doesn't mean that we're naive about people. We call out the gold in one another. If you don't know what that's about, if you're new to Hillside, then we, we make it our policy not to prophesy what's wrong with people, but to call out what is good or potentially good in people. That's what it means to honour. We choose to see the life of God in people. We choose to relate to people according to their destiny, not according to their history and their performance. So we call out the gold, but we also know as we do that that people are capable of great evil. 
capable of being very self-serving, cowardly, lying, cheating, murderous, hypocritical, thieving, and you can add whatever you want to onto the end of the list. Even born-again believers. If we have a theology which says only unsaved people do bad things, then I think our theology is not going to last very long. As every time, never mind what goes on in private, every time some high-profile TV evangelist or whatever has a mighty crash, our theology compels us to say, well, maybe they were never really saved in the first place. And that gets to be a very warped theology very, very quickly. So we are a people of honour, we look for what is good, we call out what is good, but we are not so naive as to imagine that people cannot also do evil things. In John 2 it says that Jesus entrusted himself to no one because he knew what was in the heart of a man. Jesus entrusted himself to no one because he knew what was in the heart of a man. So arise, shine, for your light has come. The world does not need another Christian political party. It really doesn't. The world does not need more Christians. Now again, hear me. I'm not saying more people don't need to get saved. Absolutely. Bring them in in their millions. But more Christians isn't going to solve the world's problems. That's what I'm saying. What is needed is for spirit-filled believers to rise up and shine in the glory of Jesus. That's going to start solving the world's problems. Okay? There's a past-future tension here if you read this verse. It's arise, shine, for your light has come, past tense, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That is a sovereign salvation move of God. This is what he's done. He has poured out his spirit. This is what has happened. This is what he has done. But then there's a future component to this. For, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the, the, the what he has done is sovereign, is out of his grace. The what will happen is the response of God's people rising up and his glory being revealed through that process. This culture of honor that we cherish and walk in is about being non-controlling. It's about freedom. It's about saying God's purpose, God's destiny for us is freedom. If the sun shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. The goal of all this is freedom. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. And therefore we are a free people who are led by the Spirit of God. We're a free people who are motivated by love. And we're a free people who are pursuing our sonship identity. And that's, that's what our freedom looks like. And against such, Paul says, there is no law. There is no set of things that we 
must believe. There is no set of things that we must not do because we live in the freedom that he has given to us. It's an incredibly important culture for us. We have core convictions. We have things that we believe. But we don't have a checklist of box to tick off. Do you pass our doctrinal test? We don't have a list of proscribed behaviours. These are things that you must not do. But we value the integrity of community here, so there are certain ways we need to behave if we're going to be community together. And when we as a church start to control or enforce behaviours and beliefs, at that point we're starting to lose the battle. And I know people get frustrated because they want to know you know, give us, give us the membership rules. But we've lost the battle because the battle is for freedom. And, and this is one battle in which the end, which is freedom, can never justify a means of control to get there. It's bizarre to think we can lead people into freedom by controlling them. And that, that's what we want to do. We must keep God's people safe, you know? Never mind, freedom's overrated. Just keep them safe. Curfew every night, no TV, um, sex once a week, um, and we'll keep this thing under wraps and, and then we'll all be good, God's good people and go to heaven. And actually he has a freedom for us which breaks every rule that we would want to put out there. I've distracted you now, haven't I? <laughs> But hey, that's okay. So when we try and enforce behaviors, enforce beliefs, we have lost the battle already because the end is freedom. If my influence over you exceeds your respect for me, think about that. If my capacity to influence you is greater than the respect that you have for me, then that is called manipulation or domination. If you are doing things for a reason other than respect, then you are being manipulated or dominated. And church has a long history of manipulation and domination. Does that sentence make sense to you? If you're doing things for reasons other than respect, then you are being controlled, dominated, or manipulated. So we don't control. We don't manipulate. You are on a journey to a heavenly destination. It's your journey. And I don't know what order things happen in that journey for you but you need to walk that journey yourself. So, so that is, that's the value that is incredibly dear and important to us. That's absolutely core for who Hillside is. But here's the problem. The problem is that the enemy has never listened to Danny Silk. So he doesn't know this. And in fact, his 
goal and ambition is absolutely to control and dominate and manipulate and imprison as much as he possibly can. That's what he does. He comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And he will use every means of control at his disposal. The greatest contrick of modern culture is this thing of freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of speech. The reality is the freedom only exists for those who conform to what is deemed to be politically correct. And if you fall outside the spectrum of that, then you're probably guilty of hate speech and you are proscribed and, and everything else. It's the most demonic trick that there is out there to persuade us we're all free when actually some people are freer than others because they happen to believe the right thing. So that is how the prince of this world works. And the devil uses people for his purpose. So it means that there are many people out there, possibly in here, who are also not above controlling and manipulating and dominating. They will do that. There are false prophets. And a false prophet, if you remember, is not someone who gets it wrong. Okay, has anybody ever given a prophetic word that maybe wasn't 100% correct? Okay, three of us. All right. Okay, that is not a false prophet. The rest of you are just in denial. <laughs> so, that is not a false prophet. A false prophet is someone who comes with a motivation of the heart to ensnare and to steal and to rob. And the fruit of a false prophet in your life is that you have been robbed as a result of that prophetic word. Something has been taken from you, chains have been put upon you, and Jesus says, by their fruit, you shall know them. So there are false prophets who serve the devil's purposes. There are also false teachers. And just as a false prophet is not someone who makes a mistake in his prophecy, so a false teacher is not someone whose doctrine isn't picture perfect according to someone else's standards. A false teacher is also someone with a heart motivation to control and to dominate and to separate. A false teacher is someone with predatory motive. A false teacher is someone who comes to steal sheep without having a pastoral responsibility for them. So I do want to slip this in today, simply a, a warning to take care who you listen to. And, and if we could ever control this, we certainly can't today and we don't want to. But YouTube is out there freely available to listen to anybody and everybody. There are podcasts of all sorts of people. There are meetings you can go to and speakers you can listen to. And I will not and cannot even begin to attempt to control that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not about producing a list of who's okay and who's not okay. That's not what this is about. But it is about every one of us in our freedom having the self-control and the wisdom to say, what am I listening to here? 
and being able to guard our hearts and say, actually, I don't feel comfortable listening to this person. And being able to act on that and say, actually, I'm going to remove myself from this space. It's not about public denunciations. Maybe they're great, it's just you've got an issue. So it's not about public denunciations, but it is about simply saying, I don't have peace about me listening to this stuff. And, and, and it's, it's difficult because if you go to a seminar organized by Buddhists, uh, we used to go down to, to um, Mind, Body, Soul Fair, which is a very new age kind of environment. In a sense, we were forewarned. We knew there were agendas here that were alien to the kingdom. But the problem is when something comes under a Christian name, we let our defences down and we say, okay, well, this, this must be okay because it says it's Christian. And the devil is very, very capable of peddling all sorts of stuff under a Christian label. And sometimes he can tell us the truth. A false teacher can actually teach the truth. But it's the heart motive that comes to rob and kill and destroy through that process. And this can happen through friends and relatives. So we need to be able to say, actually, thank you very much, but you're an amazing person, but no thank you. I don't need what you are trying to push upon me here. Jesus says we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So a culture of honor can take us into a place of being harmless as doves. You know, we choose only to identify with people on the basis of what's amazing in them. But we also need to be wise as serpents, which says, do I need to be receiving from this person here? All of which is coming to this conclusion, my final point, which is that as we arise and shine, we should not be surprised if the darkness strikes back. As we arise and shine, we should not be surprised if the darkness strikes back. We do not seek to control people, absolutely not. We do not seek to browbeat people. But we will experience opposition from people who do. And they might be secular people, they might be religious people. The greatest opposition I have personally experienced has not been from unbelievers, it's been from people who call themselves believers. Jesus said this scary line. He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when all men speak well of me. I'm, I'm, I'm not in reaction to anything today. No, no one in my hearing has spoken evil of me for many, many years. What they've said behind my back is another matter altogether, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm, I've got guns for no one in what I'm saying this morning. But maybe I'm saying this to myself, that the reason people have not opposed me more publicly is that I have not been very public in my arising and shining. And when we do arise and shine, actually then we should not be surprised if people start shouting and screaming against us.
if people are upset with us because we're behaving badly, that's another story. And we need to sort ourselves out. But if we, if we are spoken against simply because we are letting his light shine, then we should not be surprised by that. Some will welcome the light and some will not. Jesus said he came to cast fire on the earth. And fire is not universally welcomed. The validation of what you carry is not your popularity. And we like to think it is. We, we want people to like us. But what validates the anointing that sits upon you is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we let our light shine not because people say, wow, that's amazing, but because we have this unshakable conviction that Jesus has risen from the dead, therefore I cannot be silent. Therefore I cannot shut up. It changes absolutely everything. I spoke last week about an apostolic culture and we've, we've in the past identified an apostolic culture as a supernatural one. It's, it, it has to lead out of a practical manifestation of heaven come to earth in the healing of bodies, the casting out of demons, the walking on water, the multiplying of food, whatever it looks like. An apostolic culture embraces the miraculous because it has to. And we said last week that an apostolic culture is also generous. It's, it's birthed out of a desire and a practice of giving because God so loved that he gave. God's mission is predicated upon God's generosity. He wants to give. And if we're participating apostolically in his mission, then it means his motivation and his energy of giving has to flow through us. So an apostolic culture has to be about giving. But I want to say today that an apostolic culture also needs to be militant. And it needs to be militant in the sense that it embraces conflict rather than runs away from conflict. We're not here looking to pick a fight. We're really not. I'm not anyway. You might be. I'm not. But, but if we are opposed, then there needs to be a militancy. When the devil is offended by what we're doing, there has to be a militancy inside of us. The gospel is incredibly good news. The gospel is through and through good news. It's the best thing humanity has ever heard. The kingdom of God coming into people's lives is absolutely their answer to every conceivable need that they have. But the gospel is also an incredible threat to people who have a vested interest in the status quo. The gospel is a serious threat. We are here about imparting a new culture. Roger's quoted it a couple of times that our, our mission is to export a transformative and generative culture that incarnates heaven and reveals the Father and his family. And, and we, we want to take this culture that God has built with us and we want to export it to a world out there. But as we do that, we should not imagine that the world is waiting 
like chicks in the nest with the beaks wide open saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. It is the answer the world needs, but they don't necessarily know that. It says darkness covers the people. This is not the time to hold a seminar to hear the views of others. That's not what it's about. And being reasonable is not the way to wage this particular war. We all want to be reasonable people, but the devil is not a reasonable person. And he doesn't resist us. It might look like reason, but there is no reason in it. So it's time for us to live out a heavenly culture in a dark world unashamedly, but on the grounds of the message of the cross. This is not about how you feel. This is not about prophetic word God gave you yesterday. This is not about a God experience today. It's about, number one, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And number two, the fact that his glory has been revealed upon you. You have a world there that is really, really desperately in need of everything that we carry. It's time for us to show it. Can we stand? And I want to pray for us. You should all sing Onward Christian Soldiers, I think, at this point. <laughs> Can you lead us in that, Caleb? <laughs> Thank you, Father God, that your gospel is not limp-wristed. Thank you that your kingdom is shot right through with grace of the, unimost, of the most unimaginable kind. But it is not an apologetic kingdom. It's not a kingdom for negotiation. It's not a kingdom for peace treaties. It's a kingdom purchased by the blood of your son upon the cross. And I pray that you would stir us. I pray that you'd stir every one of us to a boldness in your spirit, in allowing your light to shine. We want to give you permission today. Lord, we, we pray for situations of confrontation we might even encounter this week. And I pray for each one of us that it would not be a, an episode again of backing down. But I pray for a boldness to speak this week. I pray for a fresh discernment of the devices of the enemy to neutralize us, to, to re-imprison us, to capture us afresh. Lord, would you, would you give us wisdom this week even about what voices we listen to? But Lord, would you make us bold in return to speak the incredible words of your gospel. We do pray for our nation. We pray in this season of great darkness upon the people. We pray for not a solution to a political problem, 
but we pray for a revelation of your glory in this land. Lord, let your glory rest upon this nation. Let your kingdom be seen and let your purposes be forwarded through your people in this land. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.